Hi, I'm Ashley Bredemis, director and owner of Birchwood Wilderness Camp, a summer camp for boys at the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, which is where I live not only during the summer, but year-round. So before I moved to our little cabin at the edge of the Boundary Waters, I was an engineer, a mechanical engineer by degree. I was working in the panhandle of Florida right out of college for about five years. I was down south as an engineer, and uh, I decided to quit my corporate job and move up to, to the camp. So we literally share a property line with the Boundary Waters. Couldn't get much closer. Living there year-round is um, more than what I had ever dreamed it would be. Watching the seasons change and living there, it's such an intimate experience with nature. Of course, when I made the decision, I was just losing it, thinking maybe I, is this the right thing? Did I do the right thing? And then the the very moment that I, I hit the Gunflint Trail with, you know, portage packs full of all my stuff in the back of my car, and it's just this wave that washed over me. It's like tears came and it was like, wow, this, the fog has lifted, I'm home. So winter is really why I fell in love with living here. Winter is my favorite time to be in the Boundary Waters. It's like a snow globe, but it gives you the most perspective. So it's quite the contrast to our modern day society. It gives you this magical perspective that I love so much. You know, the Boundary Waters is one of those places where you can feel so connected to your own spirit. Um, and I think that's something as a collective we really need. Um, and so a mine at the edge of such a necessity, it's it just, it's a poison <laughs> to me. So it would be a really, I just can't think of anything worse to happen to it. You know, there's natural disasters, um, but something by the hands of man, it, you can't go much more wrong in my eyes. A lot of conversations have happened since the last time the three of us have all gotten together up here on the Gunflint Trail. I think I have learned a lot more than I ever expected. And all of this is feeling much more real and much more personal at this point. And so I'm really grateful that both of you agreed to come back up here and check in and see where this journey is continuing to go. Yeah, totally. And you've gotten to talk to a lot of people, but we want to hear what your story is. Like, why did you choose to move up here? What do you love about the Boundary Waters? Yeah, why are you here? That's a great question. You know, interestingly enough, when I moved up here six years ago, I had never been in the Boundary Waters before. I'd heard a lot about it. I knew a lot of people who talked really of life-changing experiences. And I think like a lot of people, I lived in Minneapolis and I was just really burned out from having a career there. And needed to do some things just for my own like mental health, I guess. So I came up here and checked out this lodge, you know, I think in March, did some cross-country skiing, and I thought this is the most beautiful, wild place I'd ever been to in Minnesota, and so I agreed to take this job at a resort. And, and then I had my first paddling experience, like probably May 10th, and it blew my mind. And I, I mean, I, it was interesting... It was the most, one of the most amazing summers of my life, and I couldn't leave. Now it's six years later, and I own a house, and I'm still here. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, I mean, I'm sure you've built some form of community, too. I mean, and especially working at an outfitter. Have you been able to connect with some of the folks that are more personally important to you, even on this issue? You know, have you been able to sort of take everything you've learned and have conversations with, with people in your life and people kind of on the trail that you know or— are you going to? Certainly feel like the more I'm learning about 
sort of threats to the wilderness, I don't think I can help but talk about it. You know, I have to feel like I have to talk about it. And actually, one of the reasons why I wanted you all to come back up to Gunflin is because I was like, I actually know a lot of people are probably invested in this. So we're on at Rockwood Lodge, Poplar Lake. Uh, my buddy Mike said he'd come talk to you because I wanted to actually, I've, I've known Mike for a lot of years. We've been ice fishing and stuff together, but Mike, come on in here. Um, so this is Mike. Mike, this is Ingrid and Megan. Hello. Hi. Hey, Mike. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, I mean, I'll let you introduce yourself, Mike, but, you know, you came up here about the same time I did. Yeah, uh, spring of uh, 2016 is when I officially moved up here. We bought the resort the fall before, but uh, I still had to get my house ready to sell, so I couldn't come up right away. You know, Mike, so I, I mentioned this a little to you before, but so we've been talking about this, you know, mining in general, threats to the wilderness, protecting the wilderness, all these things, and wanting to talk to you you you've made this place your home and your livelihood and so we've never talked about the mining issue so i wanted to get your take on it y'all want to hear what he has to say yeah Yeah, definitely i mean that's some of the most valuable perspectives are the folks who live and breathe it every day so totally all right well generally just kind of worried about anything bad happening with the boundary waters you know they occasionally somebody likes to point out that we're on the other side of any divide that like if something bad were to happen it'd be over there it wouldn't affect us over here i just i don't really believe that because as we just saw with the recent fires a little bit of information is worse than everything because you know people the story would not come out that like a corner of birch lake got polluted the story would come out that the boundary waters is destroyed just like um, a couple weeks ago the end of the gunflint trail being in pre-evacuation by the time it got down to the Twin Cities, everyone was saying the Gunflint Trail is on fire and been completely evacuated. You know, everything gets exaggerated and made much worse than it actually is. So, yeah, anything that would happen over there would affect us, maybe not physically, but it would definitely affect us mentally and perception-wise. You're kind of talking about, like, your bread and butter, your business here. I mean, it relies on not just the actual health of the boundary waters but the perception of the health of the boundary waters the image of the boundary waters so to speak yeah i mean if people you know think that all the lakes are brown and destroyed and nasty and you know polluted they're gonna stop coming up here even though my particular lakes in my area might be perfectly fine they're still it's gonna have that mental image in their head and people will stop coming definitely yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the Animus River in Colorado. It, it was such a namesake of a, a river that got so totaled by mining. I've never even been to the Animus River, but I'm like, I maybe I don't want to go to the Animus River. I don't know how it's recovered or not, you know, and so I agree. Well, yeah, and I went on a backpacking trip along that river not knowing that there was a pollution issue, and we just noted just, like, the orange scum on the rocks and just thought it was some natural processes and then found out later that it was actually a huge uh, mining pollution accident. So, yeah. And I think there is that there's that outside perception of, you know, how something gets destroyed and altered by mining. And, but then there's our very real experiences, Mike, of living here. And if things were to sort of fall apart, that also means our worlds fall apart. Yeah. I mean, this is literally, I live here and work here. So if the place, if people stopped coming, I wouldn't have a job or a home. So <laughs> I'd be homeless and unemployed. Yeah. And that would be, a, that would apply to you. That would apply to me. That would apply to most of the people that we live and, and call friends and family here. 
I mean, we'd all be figuring out where we go next. And it probably wouldn't be here. It's not like there's other things besides tourism, really. You know, everything's service and tourism related. So if the tourism just stopped. Yeah, it's definitely like a, it's a whole ecosystem of employment as well. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misrepresentation of it being tourism versus industry. And really, it's less that Grammaray couldn't survive without or any of these wilderness edge communities couldn't necessarily survive without tourism, but they are so much more sustainable and so much more of a draw for folks uh, coming into town and just make it a community where people want to live. So it's not that it's impossible to do without tourism. It's just it's not sustainable and it's not going to work nearly as well and much less than to say about, you know, you guys becoming homeless and unemployed. Like, of course, that matters, too. Um mm-hmm. But it, I think there's just an unfair representation of sort of jobs versus the environment. And here you are saying, I'm not going to have a job if the environment is trashed. And that's totally true. There's even research that backs up what you've been just saying, Ingrid, um, that looks at the economics of this issue and how it could impact surrounding communities. Hi there. Uh, my name is Jake Bratt, and I'm a PhD student at the Harvard Kennedy School. And I currently am researching the trade-offs between amenity-based and extraction-based economies in rural settings. Real quick, let's define an amenity-based economy. This is an economy that's based on the natural amenities of an area, so like the forests, lakes, and waterways of the Boundary Waters. This can often mean tourism or people who simply want to move their businesses next to the wilderness. An amenity-based economy is typically more sustainable in the long term compared to the boom and bust cycles of mining. So what they found in their study is that the recreation and amenity-based economy of the Boundary Waters would actually produce greater long-term economic benefit for the region than the proposed Twin Metals mine would. Their study examined 72 different scenarios that compared a proposed 20-year mining ban to the Twin Metals mine, and all the scenarios showed the boom-bust cycle of mining. But in 69 of the 72 scenarios, they found that the mining ban actually produced far greater economic benefit. Their study found that if the forest was protected, there would be 4,500 more jobs and up to 900 million more in personal income. From a, a very objective uh, perspective, and we wanted to model not just the potential for adverse impacts uh, to the natural amenities of the region that would impact then the recreation-based economy, but we really also wanted to capture the positive employment benefits of this kind of project and in an intellectually honest way conduct sort of a, an analysis that balances the the trade-offs between the two. You know, these are trade-offs that exist in in many scenarios and settings throughout, you know, the the U.S. and and beyond. And, uh, you know, me personally, uh, it's something that that I'm quite interested in as a researcher, uh, figuring out how to, to, you know, balance these two tensions of extraction-based economic development and amenity-based economic development in these rural settings with truly uh, unique natural amenities. Just the fact that we're talking about this for the first time makes me, I want, there's a lot of the people I want to talk to. Because I want to, I want to know how this affects people in Ely. I want to kind of understand how this affects people in Lutz and Tofty. I mean, all these places. So I think we should go talk to more folks. My name is Eric Glosson. And I'm Lacey Squire. And we always joke 
we moved to Ely for Ely, and most people understand exactly what you mean being on the edge of the wilderness and having access to this incredible natural area, uh, one that I've been exploring now since my early to mid-teens, so 20 years, um, was a no-brainer for me. Just being in the woods is why or what led me to try for so many years to make it to Ely. And what I have enjoyed about living here, because I do think of myself a little bit outside the outdoor adventure community, right? I didn't grow up going to the camps or going into the Boundary Waters or into the woods. I'm not a paddler, but it brings me so much joy to be sitting around a bonfire with friends and hearing Eric talk with other people who have equally memorized the entire map of the Boundary Water, Canoe Area Wilderness, and Coetico. They just know, you know, they know exactly like, they know different bays and different waterfalls and different portages. And he is among a very unique cohort of people who share some pretty niche interests to a unique degree. And I'm in awe. I love watching that community exist. I think that's been one of the most exciting things for me living in Ely is getting to learn the area. It was fantastic being a tourist and getting to go on those two to three trips a year, or whatever it ended up being, but you're only scratching a surface and you're always just wondering what's around the next corner. What's at this lake? What's that portage like? What's the fishing like here? So coming up here and having so much more free time to be able to dedicate to being in the wilderness has allowed me to pick up wild foraging, has allowed me to hunt more, has allowed me to become a true sportsman. And the goal I have, I mean, one of the first people I met in Ely was, um, he's now retired, um, but he worked for the Forest Service in fire for 40 years or something ridiculous like that. And he knows these woods like the back of his hand. He knows every nook and cranny. And I just remember that moment meeting him and being like, I want to be that guy in 40 years. I want to know everything about this area and immerse myself in nature and get that truly meaningful experience that goes beyond being a visitor, but being, you know, more symbiotic with nature around us. And I feel like I'm getting that, learning more about the flora and fauna and exploring as much of this area as I can. And I had my own objectives, which were entirely different. And I remember very clearly because I thought of it and still think of it as starting a new life. You know, we left a lot of infrastructure, literal and figurative, friends and family, careers, home, um, physical, rhetorical, poetic, and we moved here and it was a fresh start. And I was at a place where I was feeling quite burnt out and overstimulated with the environment that I had created for myself and that just existed there. And I created three, I had three goals. I wanted to learn, write, and cook. And moving here and displacing ourselves to the extent that we did created an opportunity. And then there were some just, so how am I going to fill my days when I'm in this entirely new environment? And I was able to take my 10 years of living up to that moment to guide how I was going to enter this new era. And then it also just so happened to be that there are less 
restaurant experiences available to people in rural northeastern Minnesota than we were accustomed to in St. Paul. And so the environment encouraged me to follow through on my ambitions because I was yearning for specific foods or craving specific things. And in order to have them, I had to learn how to make them. So Eric had his, you know, reasons and his ambitions and I had mine which were totally different and how cool that we could come to the same place that would help us realize our very different dreams together. And I think, I don't want to be too cliche, but playing the game, you know, making as much money as you could, buying a nice house, kind of doing this thing with my life was not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. our lives. I don't mm -hmm. think we, either of us were super into it. We, you know, loved our cute house and enjoyed our jobs and had a lot of, have a lot of friends and had a lot of friends that we spent time with when we lived in the cities, but it just wasn't, we wanted to get away from that hamster wheel or whatever metaphor you want to draw. And the way I say it is there are no Joneses to keep up with here. It doesn't feel like it. Um, as we meet people, it almost seems like each individual or unit, family, whatever, they're doing something funky in their way. And it takes a lot of pressure off what our version of something funky is. Yeah, so it turns out, I mean, there's so many people, different types of people who are ready and willing to talk about why Grand Marais or Ely or anywhere around the Boundary Waters is such an amazing place to live, to make your business. and Yeah, you know, I think there's this sort of uh, mystique around moving to the edge of the wilderness, you know, leaving urban areas and for this more simplistic life. And there's some truth to that and there's that there are all these benefits. And there's uh, the other reality that's a lot of hard work. And the thing that makes this area place to want to live and want to move to and want to make sustainable for somebody's livelihood and for economic reasons is the water and the water is sort of the thing that brings it all together and happens to be the exact reason why I'm connecting with on a personal level why this is the wrong place to have a mind like this and I'm imagine every time I paddle every time I swim I'm going to think about <laughs> this issue in this mine and, and how interconnected the water is and how interconnected all these stories are for all of us. I mean, the significance of that that I feel inside it is maybe the next level to take this exploration. Mm -hmm.